Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac Wayne heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play, and boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured, it was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Leviticus. In Leviticus chapter 22, we saw how Jesus is the perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb of God that was necessary to take our place in judgment. As we continue our study of the civil law for the Israelites, as found in the book of Leviticus, We were seeing how God desired the Israelites to go about their festivals and celebrations. We saw the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of First Fruits. We will now look at the Feast of Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Weeks. We join Pastor Will in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 15. Back in Leviticus 23, verse 15, we get to the fourth seasonal feast, and this one was the Feast of Pentecost. We usually think of Pentecost as a Christian feast, but it, it is not. It, I mean, eventually it became a Christian holiday because of what happened on the feast, the Jewish feast of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Originally, of course, it's from the Old Testament. It's not solely a New Testament thing. It says, and you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. So here's where we find out the date of the Feast of First Fruits. It was the day right after uh, unleavened bread ended. The Sabbath that was there, they celebrated the Feast of First Fruits, and that started the count to Pentecost. The word Pentecost, it means 50 days. And it was seven weeks and one day after the Feast of Unleavened Bread ended. Verse 16, even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall you number 50 days. That's what Pentecost means, 50 days. And you shall offer at that time, after 50 days, a new grain offering unto the Lord. So you're gonna bring the end of your harvest. After you've had your good harvest, you're gonna bring that to the Lord again, a new offering of grain. Verse 17, and you shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two-tenth deals. So you're going to take uh, these two loaves of bread that you've made from that grain offering that you're going to bring. You bring these two loaves to the Lord. They shall be of fine flour and they shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. And you shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year and one young bullock and two rams. They shall be for a burnt offering unto the Lord with their grain offering and their drink offerings, even an offering made by fire of sweet savor unto the Lord. This is what every family didn't have to bring all these animals. There's no way anybody could afford that. These were the offerings that the priests would do to celebrate that day, to start the convocation. The offerings that you would bring would be your grain offering and your drink offering. So a liter of wine and then the two loaves of bread that you would bring. Verse 19, then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering and two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offerings. These are always the idea of new beginnings. Lord, you've been faithful to give us this harvest. We're going to trust you with our harvest next year as well as we work on replanting. So the idea of new beginnings. And the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs and these shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. In other words, he'll get to keep the food, he'll get to eat it. And you shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be a holy convocation unto you. You shall do no servile, no labor, no servile work, no heart, no physical labor therein. It shall be a statute forever in all your generations throughout your generations. 
When you reap the harvest of your land, so here's a little add-on here. When you do this, it's the end of the year harvest, and you're going to bring this offering to the Lord. He says, I want to remind you about your whole harvest, a rule for that. He says, you shall not make clean riddance. In other words, take everything out of the corners of your field when you reap. You leave some there for the poor people. Neither shall you gather any gleanings of your harvest. If you drop some, he says, you leave it there. But he says, you shall leave them unto the poor and to the stranger, for I am the Lord your God. So this is the end time when people would be getting their last gathering in. And the temptation, of course, would be what? To be greedy. The temptation would be to grab as much as you can because it's going to have to last us the rest of the year until we get the next harvest. And it reminded them, trust me for your provision. Do not be a greedy people. So that was the Feast of Pentecost. Well, how does that point to Jesus? Well, it shows that he's not just the savior of the Jewish people, but he's the savior of the world. Pentecost, of course, looks forward to the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. We saw there that on the day of Pentecost, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter preached an amazing message. And the Bible says 3,000 people were added to the church that day. 3,000 men. We don't know how many people were added. The church went from 120 people to at least 3,000 people in one day. And it's been growing ever since, right? We're all byproducts of that, right? So something happened on that day of Pentecost. The church was born. And so the two loaves that are brought there, I believe, represent the Jews and the Gentiles together in the church. That God wasn't just there to save the Jews. He mentions here at the end to leave them not just for the poor, but for who? The foreigner. You know, the foreigner in your land. I'm not just the God of the Jews. I'm the God of all people. And if they'll come to me in faith, I'll receive them just like I'll receive you. And that was a hard thought for the Jewish people to understand in Jesus's day. They had developed this theology that, well, the Jews are the only people who are saved and they can't not be saved. And the Gentiles, God just created them to keep hell hot. They're fuel for the fire. We see here, I believe, these two loaves represent both the Jew and Gentile together in the family of God as we see it in the church. Notice also that this was an offering where leaven was to be added. Isn't that interesting? Leaven, a type of sin, is to be added in there. Well, listen, the church is to be a place where sinners find healing, right? It's to be a hospital, a place where sinners find healing. And since this was a feast to celebrate the finished work of the harvest, we're to celebrate the finished work of Christ and enjoy the harvest. You know, this, this feast won't end until this, all souls have been reaped, right? The Lord said that he's waiting until the time of the Gentiles be full, right? So until that time is in, and the last part of the church, a member of the church has gotten saved and enters into the body of Christ, we have a job to do. And so we celebrate this feast. We have a job to do to share our faith until Jesus comes back. Well, that feast was stood alone. There was no other feast associated with it. But now we go down to verse 23 in Leviticus 23 and we get to the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets, or as we know it today, Rosh Hashanah, you know? The, day, you know, the head of the year, the, the, their, their new year, their, the, the way their uh, civil calendar turns into a new year. Verse 23, And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall you have a Sabbath a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work therein, but you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. Now, what's interesting about this festival is that it was to be a memorial. So it was a feast of remembrance, a gathering where they would be reminded of something. Well, to understand that, we have to look at Numbers chapter 10, verse 1. We actually find out here that God told them to make two trumpets. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Make you two trumpets of silver. Of a whole piece shall you make them, that you may use them for the calling of the assembly and for the journeying of the camps. So two things. 
the calling of the assembly, and then the journeying of the camps. And when they shall blow with them, all the assembly shall assemble themselves to you at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And if they blow but with one trumpet, well, then the princes, which are the heads of the thousands of Israel, they shall gather themselves unto you. When you blow an alarm, then the camps that lie on the east part shall go forward. When you blow an alarm the second time, then the camps that lie on the south side, they shall take their journey. They shall blow an alarm for their journeys. But when the congregation is to be gathered together, you shall blow, but you will not sound an alarm. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow with the trumpets, and they shall be to you for an ordinance forever throughout your generations. And if you go to war in your land against the enemy that oppresses you, then you shall blow an alarm with the trumpets, and you shall be remembered before the Lord your God, and you shall be saved from your enemies." And in the day of your gladness and in your solemn days, in the beginning of your months, you shall blow with the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings that they may be to you for a memorial before your God. I am the Lord, your God. So anytime they blew the trumpets during their festivals, it was to remind them of that. They were not just here to celebrate. There's a meaning behind them. And the problem is, is sometimes, even though we know that, you get used to the trumpets. So they would say, well, why are we gathering together for the Feast of Trumpets? Well, just to be reminded that we don't just get together to get together. Oh, that's right. So there's no other memory here for this one? No, it's just to be reminded. That's why it kind of became their New Year festival, their New Year celebration, because there was nothing that it pointed to per se, for them at least. But how does it point to Jesus? It's interesting, there were two trumpets made of silver. As we learned in our study of Exodus during the building of the tabernacle, we learned that silver represents redemption. Of course, Jesus is our redeemer. And the fact that there were two trumpets, one to start the journey and then one to to let them know that they were going to end, right? That to begin the journey and one to bring them back in. So the idea behind this here is a start and a finish. The first trumpet, I believe, signifies the end of the church age with the rapture. I believe that. I believe it concerns us that it signifies that. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I didn't plan on going to this, but it's probably appropriate since you know, why do you think that, Pastor Will? Verse 16, referring to our time of gathering to our Lord. It says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the what? The trumpet of God. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52. Actually, let's read verse 51 as well. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. In Revelation chapter four, and after this I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. Verse one. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me saying, come up here. See, that's what's gonna happen. Jesus is gonna blow the trumpet. Come up here and whammo, we are gone. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, right? The first trumpet sounded, of course, when Pentecost happened. And now the last trump will be the one where now we go. It signified the start of the church, and the last one signifies the end of the church. And where God begins the tribulation period and starts dealing with his people Israel again. And they'll have their own trumpets, first and last, that they deal with there. So how do we celebrate the Feast of Trumpets? Well, by sounding the gospel to the world until he comes, right? Because it hasn't sounded yet. By sounding the gospel to the world until he comes. Even as they would blow the alarm or they would blow the time to gather. We blow the trumpet and warn people and let them know Jesus is coming soon. God is going to judge the earth. Be saved while you still can. And we also celebrate it by our lives being a trumpet. 
by living as if he could come back at any moment. The Bible says he who has that hope in himself purifies himself even as he is pure. It affects our lives when we're living as if he could come back at any moment waiting for that sound of the trumpet. Verse 26, we get now to the sixth feast, the day of atonement. And it was very shortly after the feast of trumpets. And the Lord spoke unto Moses saying, also in the 10th day of the seventh month. So this is 10 days later. There shall be a day of atonement or Yom Kippur. It shall be a holy convocation unto you and you shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And you shall do no, do no work in that same day for it is a day of atonement to make an atonement for you before the Lord your God. And whatsoever soul it be that shall not be afflicted in that same day, he shall be cut off from among his people. And whatsoever soul it be that does any work in that same day, the same soul will I destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. It shall be unto you a Sabbath of rest and shall afflict your souls. In the ninth day of the month at evening, from evening until evening, shall you celebrate your Sabbath. So whether it was a Sabbath or not, the day of atonement was a Sabbath day. Now, I don't have time to go over this because we just covered it in Leviticus chapter 16. So I'm not going to go over it in detail. But the one difference we do see mentioned here is where it mentions that they were to afflict their souls. The word there means to humble yourself, to have it be a time of examination for your own life, your own sin. And during that time, the word here for work is different. It doesn't mean labor. It means occupation or business. No business was to be conducted. You weren't to distract yourself with the inventory or with the the shipments that might be coming in or shipments that had to go out or business deals that had to be made. This was a day to set apart to the Lord, a Sabbath of rest where you would come and humble yourself before him and say like David, search me, O God, and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in your everlasting path. That was what this day was for. Now, they were to cease and desist from their labor so that the next day when the offering would be made for the day of atonement and the scapegoat would go away and they would symbolically see God forgive their sin and take their sin out of their sight, then they would celebrate. And they would celebrate the fact that God had forgiven them and he had received received their repentance and received their desire to be forgiven and he had washed them clean. So... How does that point to Jesus? Well, you say, well, he's our, he's our scapegoat. He's our, he, all those things. Of course, he's all those things. But what's interesting is it has a little bit more to do with Jesus coming back to rescue Israel completely from their sin. Turn to Zechariah chapter 12 with me, verse two. Zechariah 12, verse two, it says, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. So there's gonna be a day coming when Jerusalem where all nations will be gathered against Jerusalem. And in that day, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone to all people. All that burden themselves with it shall be cut in pieces, though all the people of the earth be gathered together against it. This has not happened yet. But in that day, says the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness. And I will open mine eyes upon the house of Judah and will smite every horse of the people with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, The inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength in the Lord of hosts their God. In that day will I make the governors of Judah like a hearth of fire among the wood. And like a torch of fire in a sheaf, they're going to burn like a flame. And they shall devour all the people round about. And the right hand and on the left of Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. 
And the Lord also shall save the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem will magnify him, do magnify themselves against Judah. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David. And the house of David shall be as God. And the angel of the Lord will be before them. It shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon who? Me, whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one is in bitterness for his firstborn. They will look up, and they will see that they crucified their Messiah, and they will repent as one. Zechariah 13 verse 1 says, And in that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. It will all be washed away. You know, when the scapegoat was there, remember I mentioned to you that they might find him again someday. But what does the Bible say about our sins? That they have been sent as far as the east is from the west, washed away forever. We read it in our scripture reading in Hebrews 8, that they will never stand up against us again. So how do we celebrate the Lord? Uh, How do we celebrate the day of atonement? Well, Jesus, it's when we celebrate his birth, when we celebrate his incarnation as our humble high priest, the one who came to die for our sins. He is our scapegoat, made to be sin and led outside the city. And we celebrate his incarnation. So it's God's precious gift to us that has washed away all of our sin. I know I'm out of time, but I'm just gonna finish this last one up real quick. Leviticus 23, the Feast of Tabernacles. Verse 33. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month, so five days later, they all these three are together, shall be the feast of tabernacles, a feast of tents for seven days unto the Lord. On the first day shall be a, you know, a big gathering to read the word and learn. You shall do no servile work therein. And seven days you shall make an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And then on the eighth day there shall be another holy convocation unto you. And you shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a solemn assembly, a festive meeting. It's a time of celebration. You shall do no servile work therein. In other words, I want you to come and enjoy the time. Forget about work. Forget about the bills. Just come and celebrate me. So verse 37, he sums it up. These are the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering, a grain offering, sacrifice and drink offerings, everything upon his day, the day that I told you to do it. Beside the Sabbath of the Lord and beside your regular gifts, that's what he says there, beside all your vows and beside all your freewill offerings, which you give unto the Lord. Now in verse 39, he gives us a little bit of insight into what the Feast of Tabernacles is about. Also in the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruit of the land, you shall keep a feast unto the Lord, seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath. We already know that. You shall take you on the first day the bows or the fruit of all the goodly trees, the fruit-bearing trees. It means, or, goodly means ornamented. 
And then you should take the boughs or the branches of the thick trees, the leafy trees. So if you're, if you're growing you know, some type of a plant that you use for food, like mustard trees or something like that. He says, and willows of the brook. And you shall just come and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. It shall keep it a feast unto the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a statute forever in your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. And you shall live in booths during those seven days. All that in Israel, that Israelites born, shall live in booths, in little tents, that your generations may know or remember that I made the children of Israel to, dw- Israel to dwell in booths or tents when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so Moses declared unto the children of Israel the feasts of the Lord. So on these seven days, they would leave their homes, come to the tabernacle, and have a big camp out. That's what they do, have a big camp out. And they'd sleep under the stars to remind them, this is how our forefathers lived in the wilderness and how God preserved them for all those years and how he's, they would bring all that fruit that they'd gather and everything because they'd have a big celebration to celebrate the fact that they weren't in the desert anymore. Now they were in the land flowing with milk and honey. God had kept his promises. Well, how does that point to Jesus? Turn back to Zechariah, but this time chapter 14, verse 1. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, and your spoils shall be divided in the midst of you. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity, and the remainder of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west, and there shall be a very great valley and half of the mountains shall be removed toward the north and half of it toward the south and you shall flee to the valley of the mountains for the valley of the mountains it shall reach unto Azazel, Azel. yea you shall flee like as you fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah the king of Judah and the Lord my God shall come to you and here is us all the saints with him and it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out of Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea and half of them toward the hinder sea. In summer and in winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord and his name one. The day when we will have remembrance sacrifices during the thousand year reign. People say there's gonna be sacrifices during the thousand year reign. There will be, but not for sin. It'll be for reminders that Jesus fulfilled everything. And I wonder if we'll have, it says they're gonna celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. So I wonder if we're gonna get to get our own tents and have a family church camp out. Make sure we look for the Coward Chapel Orlando sign. All right, we'll be there, I'll make sure. We'll come and we'll camp out and we'll look up and sleep under the stars. We'll think to ourselves, we live in the new Jerusalem now. But remember how it was? God rescued us from this sin-scarred world that almost blew itself to pieces during the tribulation. But now we have one king ruling over us, and isn't it great? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. The feasts that God instructed the Israelites to celebrate all pointed to Jesus. In the feast of Passover, Jesus is the lamb slain before the foundations of the world, the lamb slain on our behalf for our sin. For the feast of unleavened bread, we see that in Jesus we have power over the leaven of sin and shame in our lives. The Feast of First Fruits pointed to how Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. He is the resurrected Savior that proved He has power over sin and death. The Feast of Weeks points to how Jesus is the Savior of Jew and Gentile alike. The Feast of Trumpets declared God's redemptive work and how He is the finisher of our faith. 
The Feast of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, illustrates God's complete work of salvation for Israel. And finally, the Feast of Tabernacles points to God's never-ending, never-failing work in our lives as we continue to journey on and see how amazing God is. Jesus is the reason we can celebrate and have true joy and peace. If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.